For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 705, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Photo Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And uh, this week, we'll chat with Sebastian Cartarelli and Philippe Hines of Tonus Capital. Uh, they are on the way this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Uh, but first, as usual, taking a look at some of the entrepreneurial news of the week, and lots to talk about. Why don't we start with Super Bowl, because it's coming up uh, next weekend, and of course, everyone's very excited about the ads. Um, what do you make about some companies and even some smaller companies really putting everything into that one 30 second ad? You know, can, can that work sometimes for business? Can you just put all your eggs in, in one marketing basket and then just go for it? Probably the most famous story of Super Bowl ad is Masterlock, you know, where they put in their entire, entire, entire budget, uh, at least for one year, if not longer, into this one 30 second ad. It wasn't even an ad that repeated. It was one 30-second ad of the Super Bowl. I think it was $2 million back in the day, so we're 20-some-odd years ago, uh, if not longer. And for them, it, it it absolutely launched them. It was absolutely huge, not only the ad itself because it was seen by so many people, but just all the hype built up saying, hey, this one company was able to you know to, to score this ad. Here, uh, and, and the cost of Super Bowl ads is absolutely astronomical, as, as most people know. So there's this one company, this coffee company, that said, you know what, we're going to enter a contest because there was a contest to get a Super Bowl ad in there. This little tiny coffee house, this coffee company, it's not in Montreal, it's out of, out of the States, uh, they registered or entered this contest, beat out 15,000 other small businesses, and they're going to get their chance at fame. They're going to have their 30-second spot. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a coffee house. It's a black bag. There's skull and bones on it. They're, they're trying to be unique. It's a small place. The Death Wish Coffee Company. Death Wish Coffee Company. But I'll tell you, uh, really the moral of the story is, and, and we, we've heard it time and time again, we've heard it, uh, you know, one of the more prominent stories was Pure Vodka Dan, when he told us how he got on the map and he entered a contest hmm. because it didn't take any real dollars. It didn't take a huge amount of effort. It basically took some time, energy, and paperwork. But in the end, it paid off big time, as it did for Pure Vodka, as it did for this Death Wish coffee. Because I know, you know, I read it. I'm gonna look for, <laughs> gonna look for the article, or the ad on TV, and I'm sure it's gonna play because all the ads are are online all the time. You mentioned Pure Vodka, and, and we, we spoke to Nicola of Pure Vodka a couple years ago in this program, and since then, he's just exploded, blown mm -hmm. up. I mean, uh, and the contest you're referring to, he, he entered a vodka contest and ended up beating some of the best vodka brands in the world, including my favorite, Belvedere, and then everything went, went from there. So sometimes, I guess, you have to get familiarize yourself with your industry and, and enter those contests once in a while. You never know. You, you really, and it's not just entering the contest because then it's also entering, you know, filling out applications for grants, filling out applications for anywhere where it could give a boost to your business. Uh, you know, there, there's so many things that can be done that doesn't take a lot of money, but you have to be resourceful. You have to check your, you know, online is, is uh, the internet and, and the information. It's a bit, a bit, a bit overload of information out there, but there's definitely things that can be done. And like you said, he wants world's best vodka this death wish coffee is going to have this 30 second spot on the super bowl an absolute coup uh just like master lock uh, although they paid for it but it, it's absolutely huge when you can when you can get your your dollars and your name out there in such a big big named event 
Speaking of vodka, it's great that we talk about vodka more than twice on the program. Um, Except we're a, not we're not drinking, Dan. We're no. just talking about it. That is, that is possibly the unfortunate aspect, but hey, that's what we do. <laughs> that is unfortunate, but there's a new vodka brand coming out that uh, that's for health conscious people. And I, I think this is this is also is a a company, and, and it's a bit of a theme. What we're looking for it's it's be uh, eventful, be resourceful, and look forward. And the reality is, vodka is you know everybody thinks oh it's great it's vodka it's really not that uh, that fattening, that caloric, that sugar. But the reality is there is sugar in vodka. And for those that are really looking to cut back, and it's enough that you, some people add cranberry. We won't talk about the Red Bull that some people put with it because that is bad. Um, but there's the, there's this vodka company that came out and said, you know what, there's so many health-conscious people out there. As we saw, we spoke last week about Freshie and them capitalizing on the health phase. They are taking, they are finding the to distill and make vodka with no sugar components or very little sugar components. So there it's it's out there. All you gotta do is be resourceful, be inventive, know what the times are. Think a little bit. Don't just go with the flow and do think a little bit. See what's happening around you and then apply it. There's so many ideas out there. It's gotta happen. Especially with this health craze. I mean we we talked about Freshie last week, but it seems like everyone, even McDonald's, is gonna have to start ditching some of their junk food. And I mean, they already have for many years. They've they've had this salad, and you know, I remember the McDLT, you know, where it was like uh, it was a lot of salad and energy, a lot of salad and vegetables on one half, a little bit of burger on the other. But they were advertising the freshness of the of the the lettuce and the tomato. They're they're going that way. Listen, like the McCafe, they're trying to have some healthy treats and and all that. Absolutely, but they're not the only ones. I, I mean, uh, Burger King for a long time has you know had these these one dollar items that's chili, so it's a little better, and 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 some of these. It's it. They have no choice but to go that way because if you want to appeal to to the masses or you want to get everybody in your door and you want people to know why they come in your door, you got to say, hey, if I want ten people to come in, I got to try and appeal to these ten people. Mm-hmm. Shoes dot com, uh, big in America, and they're coming uh, to Canada. They saw a gap in the marketplace. They, you know, there there's so many things that you can buy online. There's no question about it, but there are certain. I think what they capitalized on, uh, and this is what it's in the article, is the logistics side of it. It's it's not always so readily evident on how you ship things cross borders. And I'm not just talking Canada, US, I'm talking all around the world. But once you have it down to a science, you can absolutely capitalize because there's so many people out there, small retailers, small online sellers, that don't have that have not mastered the logistics side of the business, and and we try and talk about the logistics side in a number of entrepreneurs on the show. Dan, uh, we don't really get into too much of the detail, but it is a science, and there are so many things that can go wrong, so many things that can screw up, so many things that can cost a lot of money. But once you have it down to a science, especially when you're an online company and you're selling ones and twos and threes and not shipping cases, uh, it's absolutely tremendous. So they were looking at the Canadian marketplace. They were looking at the online uh, Canadian marketplace and said, you know what? There's really not a lot of competition because people haven't fully figured out how to transport these items into Canada or out, which kind of sounds ridiculous because it's, it's there, but they're capitalizing on it because they know that the, the market is not nearly saturated in that regard. Apps now, speaking of technology, and later on the exchange, we're going to talk about Uber and its effect on the taxi industry here in Montreal. But uh, there's also another revolution brewing in snow removal. Uh, there's a couple apps right now that, that you just sort of bring up 
the app and call uh, call someone to remove your snow, and they they come really quickly. So it, this is a bit of a trend. If you if you don't have you know a child that's active enough that you can you know you don't have to bribe to shovel your driveway, uh, you know, and uh, my 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 son, my daughter, they help out a lot at times. Uh, <laughs> is is really that you can make an app? You know, everybody has the expression. There's an app for that. Well, the reality is, if you again, if you think hard enough and you don't sit on your laurels and you you kind of figure out what services can be done out there you can find an app you can create a product or service that will fit that need all you got to do is sit down and think about it really some things sound like rocket science and some things sounds oh my gosh it's a light bulb idea but uh, but th- there's so many opportunities out there and you know when you're when you're talking about that uh, and you're exploring new opportunities or even new markets it it don't limit yourself to Canada. Don't limit yourself to Quebec. As we see, shoes.com is coming into Canada. Well, there's plenty of things that we can go outside of Canada. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and can export, just to quickly, uh, just to, to throw this out there for those that don't know, <clears throat> can export has come out with a program only really a few weeks ago where it's for only for entrepreneurs, for, for small businesses. Your sales are between 200,000 or, and 50 million. That's the criteria. And you can, get 50% subsidized or grant money for any markets that you reach out to that you haven't reached out to in the last 24 months. So if you're a Canadian company selling uh, selling shoes and you want to, you know, hey, I want to go out into Italy because I've never been there before, well, your market study and your travel and your, you know, and whatever is related to out there, you can apply and you can, you have to spend at least uh, $20,000, but you can get back a minimum of $10,000 and up to $100,000 per project, per, not per project, but per location or target that you're going to go to. So Canada is, is, is coming back into the game of let's help, let's help SMEs try and reach out and try and export. I'll have to save the story for next week. It's really interesting. The eight industries that uh, that are best for starting a business in 2016, and some of them are very different and innovative. Uh, so we'll get to that next week. And coming up next on the program, Sebastian Cartarelli and Philippe Pines of Tonus Capital. They are profiled tonight on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 719 on CJAD, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, uh, we're talking with Sebastian Cardarelli and Philippe Hines of Tonus Capital. Sebastian, Philippe, welcome to CJAD. Thank you. Thank you. So first question, really easy. Uh, tell us about yourselves and tell us about uh, Tonus Capital. So uh, Tonus is an investment management company. Uh, we manage a North American uh, equity portfolio. And with a concentrated approach, 15 to 20 stocks in our portfolio, we're uh, long-term investors, uh, value-style-driven, and uh, we have a track record of uh, eight-plus uh, years now. So uh, we manage money for a combination of uh, high-net-worth individuals, um, uh, family offices, pensions, and, uh, and some private clients. Now, so when you're – this is a business that is – not so easy. I mean, you have to roll with the flow. You have to you have to roll with the punches. You have to be, you know, get in the right investment. You have to communicate with your customers. How did you and why did you get into this industry? Like, when did this start for you? Well, investments have all, has always been something that I uh, enjoyed. I've always uh, liked money and to make money. Well, we like money too, you know. We don't necessarily do what you do, but we all like money. And investments is a, a good way to uh, to uh, make make some uh, some uh, big, big money if, uh, if it works out uh, nicely. 
And uh, it all started for me uh, back when I was uh, a teenager or even uh, younger than that when uh, my father bought me a couple of uh, shares and I started following them in the papers. And, um, and then from that point on, I uh, liked investing. I liked to watch the markets, uh, read about the markets. And uh, in university, I uh, joined a program that was on uh, uh, where uh, someone had given a million dollars to uh, real money to invest. And uh, that really kicked it off. Uh, I got connected in the industry in Montreal. And um, uh, during my undergrad, uh, really uh, knew that this was what I wanted to do. Um, so did, did, was Tonus your baby? Did you start that or did you join that later on? So the, the, uh, the idea behind doing Tonus was to create something a little different. And it was actually started by a former uh, part, uh, business partner, uh, Steve Boutin, who started the firm. And uh, the beginning wasn't easy. Uh, money that was supposed to be coming in from uh, from a large investor uh, never got in. Uh, the the person passed away, and uh, it took uh, longer than uh, than uh, he thought to uh, to get uh, for for that money to be distributed. And um, a year and a half later, uh, when the money came in and Steve was looking for a partner, I uh, jumped in. I uh, wanted to create something. I wanted to uh, start a business and do everything. And uh, were, you, were you already working in the firm at the time, or were you elsewhere? So after graduating, I uh, worked with uh, for uh, Standard Life in uh, Van Berkham. Uh, so there, I was a uh, a partner at a uh, was a great firm, and uh, it was a difficult decision to uh, to leave something great to join something that was nascent and uh, just starting. But um, the, the challenge was big, and uh, I wanted to do it, and I uh, wanted to create something of, uh, of, of my own with my former partner. So uh, we, uh, we wanted to create something uh, different with our own values, our own culture, and uh, that's what we tried to do. And, and you know, Dan, we, we constantly hear this about entrepreneurs. It's about taking risks, about jumping in. It's, uh, it's there is the unknown out there. There's no question about it. And it's pretty scary. And, you know, there's there's family also that's around you that, that have to support you. So it's uh, it, it's it's very much a characteristic of, of most entrepreneurs out there. And when we come back from the break, we'll hear a little bit more about, you know, how how Philippe took over the partnership and and kind of uh, what his huge salary were was in the first few years of uh, of working at Tonus. Sebastian Cardarelli and Philippe Haynes of Tonus Capital this evening with us on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. From Tonus Capital, we have Sebastian Cardarelli and Philippe Haynes with us. Um, tell me, guys, how this partnership came about. So uh, I had been working uh, after uh, after my partner uh, and I, uh, I, I, I bought him back. Um, I was alone and uh, Sebastian uh, uh, came to uh, meet me from a uh, referral uh, a family member of his had had in uh, Toronto. And Well, it was uh, December 2012. I'd been working for a large Canadian banking institution. Prior to that, I'd worked for a large international banking organization. And when I met Philippe, uh, we were in the same building on McGill College, and this young gentleman came in. I asked him what he did. He showed me. I said, who else works here? He said, it's just me. And then I asked him if he thought you could maybe manage investments and client relationships at the same time well. To which, of course, he said, no, I think that these roles are, are generally suited to different personalities and certainly different careers. Uh, to which I said, well, great, why don't you keep doing this wonderful investing work you're doing? At that point, Philippe had returned about 20% for 2012. 
and then went on to return 40% in 2013, which was spectacular. And I said, well, as you might realize, I like to talk. Um, I'm sure there are a few listeners who know that out there already. And We, I we said, haven't well, cut you off yet. <laughs> Oops, that's one. <laughs> and, and I thought, uh, this seems like the right kind of opportunity. Uh, as the son of an entrepreneur as well, I haven't taken the full plunger on my own business, but I do like the idea of being number two and uh, sort of hitching my wagon to a shooting star where the shooting star has maybe shouldered most of the risk and I have a lesser share of it. But by the same token, we'll, uh, we'll both partake of the spoils and not necessarily be working too hard for anyone else. And, uh, and, and risk is certainly a, a big aspect to it. And, and I think, Philippe, when you first got into this and, uh, you know, there's risk, there's risk, uh, there's monetary risk, and I'm sure there's family risk too. Uh, was that part of any decision making that your family had to be involved or, or said, you know what, I got to jump in, I'm, I'm going to have both feet in there, I have no idea where it's going. Do I have your support? Does that come into play? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I uh, had long discussions with my wife before uh, taking that big decision to uh, uh, move from somewhere where I was comfortable, uh, was making good money, and to go where a new a new business where uh, we knew we knew we would not pay ourselves at the beginning. And uh, I remember telling my wife that uh, it would take one year before uh, we would be profitable and I could pay myself. And how long did it take? Uh, I'm thinking three, so it's probably four. Uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, she was very supportive and uh, and and was working at the time, so could support us uh, during these uh, these years. Now you mentioned the the founder before. Was it an easy transition? Was it an easy buyout? Was it was it very smooth? Did it have any hiccups? Where you have good experiences with the attorneys? Uh, maybe you can kind of recount a little bit of that transition or buyout. Uh, so in, in 2011, uh, we got to uh, a point where we needed to, to make a decision uh, what we were, if we were going to push hard or uh, uh, what we could do to, uh, to start uh, making, making some, uh, some money. And uh, at that point, uh, Steve had a great uh, offer from one of Canada's uh, most renowned firm uh, in Toronto. And uh, uh, he decided to, uh, to take the offer and, uh, and move there uh, to manage uh, one of their portfolios. And uh, it was a, uh, we kept talking, he didn't hide this from, uh, from me, it was very transparent in the process, so uh, uh, we were in good terms then, we were still in good terms, uh, we established a value for the company that was uh, uh, very fair, I mean, at that point, the, when you have an unprofitable uh, firm, the, uh, it's, it's hard to get a, a high valuation, so um, uh, that, that, uh, that But you, was, agree, you agreed on a number. We agreed on a number, uh, we had a good contract, uh, written uh, by the lawyers uh, so we uh, we knew what to expect and uh, given it was uh, it wasn't overnight that he arrived and uh, said he was leaving was client transition easy like was he handling clients and then you started taking them over or uh, like how how smooth or not smooth was that uh, good question because we we were co-managing the portfolio from uh, 2009 to 2011 uh, but Steve had, Steve had been the uh, the one there from the beginning, and uh, there was a risk that uh, clients, uh, when they heard the news that he was uh, gonna leave, that they could be uh, they could be leaving. So we uh, we went out uh, to meet all the clients, and uh, it was a bit the make or break uh, time uh, for the business. Uh, and uh, we told the clients what was going on and what was happening and if they were going to support uh, me if I continued by myself and, uh, and about 75% of them uh, did so. 
and no clients, no money, no business. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about staying in communication with them and how you kind of are out there finding others. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 735, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And our guest this evening is Sebastian Cardarelli and Philippe Hines of Tonus Capital. And uh, Josh, another example of, uh, of I guess, uh, switching things up, uh, bringing a new partner and taking things to the next level. Well, and, and it's really about how do we take it to the next level. And, and in this game, uh, as most people know, and in any business, but certainly here, if you don't have your customers, you don't have your money that's invested, you can't make any bucks. So, And, and you're, you're a, a relatively small and you're an independent house, so you don't have the big name behind you, but you have big ideas, big heart, and of course big return, as you mentioned earlier, at least a, in a couple of years ago, a few years ago. What is your success? How do you go get clients? What works for you? What worked for you, uh, Sebastian, when you first started? Um, you know, how, how did you make it work? How did you attract people? Um, well, as with, uh, you know, starting out any new venture and, and even sort of a fledgling, uh, almost startup type operation, uh, you have to be patient it's it's there aren't really too many shortcuts anywhere. Um, sometimes you might have some great luck, but you tend to work to make your own luck. You have to be out. You have to be doing, um, you know, a lot of sales. Really, I'm not so interested in the marketing side, uh, but more sales is always going to be about you have to be going out. You have to be meeting people. You have to be consistent. Um, where I'm were sh- you meet? Where were you meeting them? Where were you finding? So them? happily, having spent some time with larger firms, I already had contacts. Having been in sales for a long time, I'm a natural networking type person, so I have plenty of friends. The great thing about joining Tonus Capital was previously with the large international bank, the large Canadian bank, I wasn't very comfortable inviting uh, friends and family to invest with me or or with my firm. Uh, Happily, when I met Philippe Hines, and one of the most important things was all of his wealth is is specifically invested in the program. Well, now I could open up to family and friends. I was 100% confident this was the right way for everyone I know and love to invest their own hard-earned wealth. So that was a great starting place. And then, of course, when you're making great returns, as we've done, uh, and people are satisfied and happy, uh, referrals and word of mouth. There can be a natural momentum that builds right, the natural momentum that builds right there. The other thing that can obviously uh, happen is through success and, and having good returns. But again, there aren't really any shortcuts. Um, it might have been the case many uh, decades ago, say in Switzerland, they could sit there and they could watch, uh, they could just let the phone ring. Uh, but we have to go out and, and, and actively uh, you know, present ourselves and let people know. By the same token, we are not out to cajole or try and persuade anyone to do something. Uh, we are great believers in, in caveat emptor. We would like to have people take sort of the first step and say, this seems very interesting. I like the fact that Philippe has all his wealth invested here. The fees seem very competitive. Uh, I like the simple structure in nature. You're focused on one thing that even I can understand. We really believe simplicity is key. And so we want people to take the first step and just ask for more information rather than me calling you up all the time to say, do you have any money? Are you interested? Do you want to open an account? Do you, you're, you're, as I mentioned before, you're small, you're an independent house. Uh, how do you get around the, because there, there have been some horror stories about there about these smaller investment companies that have rooked people and taken their money. Do people, do you have to fight that, that stigma? Do you have to fight that notion that, hey, I'm not one of the big boys out there. I'm a little guy, but don't worry. You can trust me. Everything is safe. Do you ever have to field that question? 
Yeah, we do get that question often, uh, more so uh, five years ago uh, when the scandals were out, but uh, still today people remember. And uh, regulations, are the barriers to entry are high in the business. The uh, regulators uh, have very strict um, uh, rules that need to be followed. So starting a firm is very difficult, uh, very long and very expensive. And uh, when the firm is running, there's still a lot of oversight from the regulators. So uh, um, there's few firms that are starting for that reason. Um, and there's an extra cost for us to uh, be able to show the clients that we do have a third party doing the valuation of our fund. We do have an, audit, an external auditor that are uh, uh, auditing the books. Uh, so that's that's expensive, but that's, it's important. With, with all the, the regulations, and I, I mean, I certainly don't know all of them, but uh, there, there's no doubt they're they're huge and they're they're vast and they're they're really really strict the regulations the compliance how does tonus capital a small firm manage the structure and the cost of keeping up with all these regulations that constantly change and are constantly imposed on you yeah, so we have to uh, be up to And it's, I know it's not just another year of not taking a salary. This got to be a little bit more. <laughs> well, the lawyers are involved, and uh, we have to uh, always be uh, on the forefront of what's, what's changing. Uh, I must say that both uh, the AMF here in Quebec and the OSC in Ontario are very good with communications, uh, with emails now, and uh, they... They, they tell all the information, they tell the changes, uh, but uh, this year there's many changes happening in the industry and uh, uh, every firm, the large and the small, need to be to comply with the uh, the new rules and uh, we do have to spend some time and uh, to, to write the policies, have a manual book um, and uh, be compliant with everything that they, they're asking for. Technology, I'm sure, has played some role uh, over the eight years that, that Tonus has been around and certainly have forever long you've been in the in this business. What's been the biggest change? What's been the biggest kind of barrier? I mean, I hear often enough, you know, some people call and say, hey, you know, have you heard of this stock or where do you want to invest? And I say, maybe I'm not sure about that one. And then they rattle off everything because online you can get anything. Uh, you can get all information. So has technology helped your business or or kind of made it a little more difficult as you have to field even more knowledgeable cl- uh, questions from clients? Yeah, well, the clients are, yes, they are more knowledgeable. There's more information uh, it's always a challenge for us to filter what's important and what is is not. Um, our style of investing, we're long term. We basically we have 15, 20 stocks in our portfolio. We turn them, uh, we turn a third per year. So our job is to find five or six good investment per year. Uh, with technology, it helps to get more ideas. But at the end of the day, our work is to do a lot of deep dive research into our names and uh, read the financial reports and do- go talk to clients, uh, suppliers. And technology won't help you uh, to read faster the annual report. Uh, this is something that uh, this is how we differentiate. Uh, <clears throat> but there is definitely more more software out there. Uh, the big firms have access to this these uh, uh, electronic uh, computers that do all the trading, and we're not we're not trying to compete on this game. We're trying to compete on our long term focus, and uh, for that, uh, there's nothing better than uh, reading the hundred pages of the annual report. And if I could just add as well, 
Um, when I met Philippe and I said, well, I could probably get you access to some research. And he said, no, I'm not really interested in that. Um, you know, following in the in the investing schools sort of originated by Benjamin Graham, as espoused by Warren Buffett. I'm not going to suggest that Philippe is necessarily Warren Buffett uh, 2.0 North, uh, but it is exactly the same principles and philosophies. So Philippe wants to come in every day and look at the worst performing stocks from yesterday, which are the 10 that were down by 20, 30, 40% or more. Let's start with those. Those are the ones that nobody is really interested in. It's not really so important as to when you buy a stock because they're always sellers. It's really more important about when do you sell your stocks, especially given that a lot of times there aren't any buyers out there. So in looking to double our money in, in a three to five year horizon, I mean, Philippe, in looking at one company, Primerica, he joined their insurance training program just to see if they were legitimate or if it was kind of a, a multi-level marketing play. Is, is, do, you have, do you do everything yourself? Do you have other employees or other team members that are part of your group? So we also have uh, two uh, two employees working with us, uh, doing research and everything else. But that that didn't start from the get go. You were pretty much doing a lot of it on your own at the beginning. It's all point, Philippe, all by himself. At what point did you realize you needed to add those extra bodies? Yeah. Well, uh, when uh, when in, in in 2011, when we made the decision to continue, uh, I cut down the costs and uh, went down to being uh, by myself. And uh, when assets grew, uh, it allowed me to have a bit more uh, revenues. To uh, I've always had the need to have more people around me, and uh, uh, with with uh, more assets, we had revenues. We could hire. Uh, we start with uh, Sebastian, and then we hired uh, uh, two more people uh, to uh, to help us on. Uh, no, basically we do research, and uh, and then there's all the other administrative uh, things to do. So around. for you, it was revenue first people after and you pretty much covered it all in between yeah exactly excellent I, I, I think you know there, there's always so much more and we're, there's never enough time to talk about everybody's business uh, but one of the areas you know we touched upon you know regulation and compliance and when we come back from the break Dan uh, Ernie Furt's going to join us and we're going to talk about regulation compliance challenges but for items that relate outside of Canada so foreign reporting because as we all know investments can be don't aren't always in Canada there's many other great opportunities outside but you got to know what the pitfalls are when you're investing in those uh, tax partner Ernie Furt from FL uh, will be along to go through that very complicated uh, process and all the complicated rules there on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and F.L. Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Sebastian Carterelli, Philippe Hind of Tonus Capital is with us. We'll have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. Uh, but first, a tax partner Ernie Furt is with us again. Welcome back, Ernie. Thank you. Welcome. And Josh, we have some uh, some complicated issues in terms of compliance to get to. Well, well, we really didn't get too much into the business what actually Tonus does, but but they are they are investors. We know that they are they are taking people's money, high net worth or otherwise, and buying stocks and bonds and, and ETFs and whatever they like in there. But there's no question Canada is not the only place where people invest. There's so many other areas out there and other parts of the world where uh, where individuals invest directly in, in companies or, or whatever other entities or products out there. However, there are issues, there are challenges, and there are things that, that people have to understand for reporting. Otherwise, bad things can happen, uh, and, and payments can be made, and penalties can happen. So we'll turn to Ernie and say, Ernie, with the, with the myriad of investments out there that are outside of Canada, what are some of the items that that, that entrepreneurs, that individuals should be aware of 
before they get into it. And I'm not saying the the the, the tax tail should wag the investment dog, but they're important areas that people should know. People have to realize that when they invest in any type of foreign asset that produces income, that there's reporting that's required in Canada. So if they're Canadian citizens and Canadian taxpayers and Canadian residents, they're going to have to report their foreign investing in Canada. They're going to have to report their income for sure, as well as they may have to report on special forms, depending on the type of investment that they have. One of the popular forms is something called a T1135, which has been in the news over the past two, three years because they keep changing it. They're trying to build the better mousetrap. They haven't yet come to the best solution yet because it, it, it catches everything, but it is so complex in order to, to complete it properly that every year they, they go back to the drawing board and try and make it more user-friendly and they're succeeding, but they're not quite there yet. But if you, but there's there's no tax related to it. But if you don't file, then what happens? There's no tax related to it, but there's a penalty for failure to file this form, which can be up to twenty five hundred dollars per year. And if they deem it to be willful, they can double that penalty. So you you can have situations, whether it's a corporate situation or whether it's a personal situation, where people haven't filed for ten years. So all of a sudden you have massive penalties, and then you have to look at potentials for voluntary disclosures. And you have to be careful while doing a voluntary disclosure because if there was a request for the information at one point in time, then the entire voluntary disclosure will go by the wayside and you're gonna, they're going to hit you with all those penalties for all the, the years in question. And you want to avoid that. So you want to make sure that when you do these voluntary disclosures, you do them on a no-names basis, you make your deal as best as you possibly can, and then you provide the information that they need and then continue to comply with... With, with the rules and prep uh, all the forms that are required. Most of these people, you know, for a T1135, you have to have foreign assets in excess of $100,000. So that's foreign assets, foreign investment assets at a cost of over $100,000. So it's not your garden variety Joe that has this. And this is not investments in an RRSP. These are investments outside of your RRSP and outside of your TFSA. Now, this is for the regular investments of stocks, bonds, what if you invest in, in an operating company or you have a little bit more than the 0.1%? Uh, you have to report that as well? An operating company, you have to report, but there's a different form for that. Okay, if, the, the, Depending on if you, own, if you, together with family members, own greater than 10% of, of an operating company or any investment company outside of Canada, there's another form that you have to file, which is even more complicated. So you just have to watch your foreign stuff, talk to your accountants, tell them what you have, because if you don't tell your accountants what you have, we as accountants can't fix your problem or help you alleviate the problem. And of course, when you're investing outside, uh, certainly in the U.S., then there's this crazy U.S. estate tax that I'm sure a lot of people hear about. So when we come back after the break, we'll kind of fill people in, fill people in on what they should consider before they bring all or they own all those assets in the U.S. Plus, we'll have Sebastian and Philippe's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Sebastian Cartarelli and Philippe Hines of Tonus Capital, their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, Josh, chatting with Ernie Furt, of course, of FL Fuller Landau, about uh, compliance and about, uh, I guess, uh, setting up those these kinds of investments uh, abroad. There, there's no such thing as actual U.S. estate uh, estate tax here in Canada, but U.S. estate taxes, 
uh, is absolutely out there and is probably feared or, or really misunderstood uh, by a lot of people. Uh, Ernie, maybe you can kind of clarify the, the muddied waters a little bit and let us know or let the entrepreneurs know what they should kind of be aware of for a second things about U.S. estate tax and, and how they can maybe mitigate it. First of all, most people think about U.S. estate tax. They think, well, if I'm a U.S. citizen, I have to pay U.S. estate tax or I may be subject to it. But let's not deal with the garden variety issue. Let's deal with the Canadian who has U.S. assets. That Canadian may be subject to U.S. estate tax depending on how much U.S. assets he has. Because if his estate is significant, let's say over five and a half million, and some of that is U.S., he is going to end up or she will end up paying U.S. estate tax on U.S. situs assets, meaning that you have a, a property, your secondary home in Florida or Arizona or whichever state you have it in, that'll count and it counts at the value of the, of the home. And it's not un unlike Canada where we tax based on an accrued gain. Here they tax on the basis of value. So t today you don't have a U.S. asset, but tomorrow all of a sudden you buy a condo in the States for a million and a half dollars. Now you have a million and a half dollars of U.S. assets. And if you get hit by a truck the next day, you may have U.S. estate tax. So you have to be careful how you do that. Shares in, in U.S. companies count. Shares within your RSP in U.S. companies count. So you got to take a look at these things. Make sure that you limit your exposure on the U.S. side. Do some calculations together with your accountant and invest in certain mirrored funds, stuff like that, in order to, uh, to, to help uh, alleviate the exposure to the IRS and the U.S. estate tax. Now, the five and a half million, that's in U.S. dollars, That's right? U.S. dollars. So that's like, you know, 15 million Canadian today, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so so the, the threshold, uh, I guess, indirectly or, or, uh, has gotten a little bit higher, but you still really, really need to be mindful of it. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, Tonus, you mitigate. I'm sure you field all these questions, and, uh, and it's really interesting to get into it. But we are at the point in our show, we're uh, just coming up on the last moment, and as we do every week, we'll turn to you and ask you, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Um, hi, it's Sebastian Cartarelli again. Thank you for having us. We've had a wonderful time. Uh, in general, I would always suggest, you know, try and be kind and work hard. Works for everybody everywhere all the time. Uh, but from a professional uh, perspective, I would say like the uh, ISO uh, group with the ISO 9000, 40,000 International Standards Organization, say what you do and then do what you say. It's easy to promise. Words are cheap. But you then have to back up what you say with actions. Um, and I think that's very important to be consistent in those two areas in all you do professionally. Thanks very much, Sebastian. Philippe? And on my end, I'd say that uh, we, we, most entrepreneurs start their business to make money. And I uh, hope all of them will make good money. But uh, I think we, most of us start a business for other, uh, for, for, for some values or there's something else that drives us to start a business. And my advice would be to uh, write that down when the entrepreneur starts his business, write two or three things, why he's doing it. And uh, years later or in tough times to go back to these reasons. And there's always more than just the, uh, the, 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 the profits and, uh, and the success of the business. There's other things that can drive uh, success for an entrepreneur. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, Dan, my quick takeaway is a little bit on what Philippe is saying, and it's called perseverance. If you believe in it, if you if you know that it's the right thing to do, but things aren't always so smooth, but if you persevere through and you remind yourself why you do it, well, then that can absolutely get you through. 
Thanks very much, Josh, and thanks to Sebastian Cardarelli and Philip Hines of Tonus Capital. Thanks to Ernie Furt, of course, of FL. And uh, next week on the program, Eyewear. Eyewear, Ronit Furt. The exchange, first, Ronit first. The exchange is next on CJ at 8 o'clock.